Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. This is John Howell Essential Cuts, your daily rundown of the best of the best from today's show on 890 WLS. I recognize that uh, music. It's Mike Emanuel time. Just after 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, Mike Emanuel is Fox News' chief Washington correspondent. He'll be in the anchor chair Sunday at high noon. Mike, thanks for your time. Much appreciated, sir. How are things going? John, always a pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, brother. There's a new poll out, and they must be jumping up and down at the White House. The president's approval rating has hit a nine-month high at 42%, which is, in this day and age, I guess, better than 32%. Uh, when is the big announcement regarding the possible re-election effort? You know, I thought it might come this week. He did an event at the uh, Firefighters Union event uh, in Washington, D.C., and they were the first union to endorse him during the last cycle. So I thought, oh, maybe he's going to come back and thank them for their support last time and say, by the way, I have some news today, but uh, I wasn't planning the event because that didn't happen. But um, but anyway, uh, I think it's soon, and I think they're encouraged by the polling that says he's going up. Um, I think the those who want somebody else, which a majority of you know Democratic primary voters say they want somebody else, the challenge is who's going to be that person to step up and challenge a sitting president from your own party. I thought that he would make the announcement, if not at, shortly after the State of the Union. Now that the midterms are behind, I, I just I still can't believe that he will stand for re-election. And, you know, I like Joe Biden. I don't think he's seen now, but he's 80 years old. It's just too doggone old for the job, period. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to prominent Democrats about that, and privately they'll say, yeah, he's not the same guy he was five, six, seven years ago. Um, but publicly, it's a little difficult to come out and say that about the president from your own party. And so while they may have their fingers and toes crossed that you know, he decides otherwise. Um, I think they're thinking it's inevitable that he's going to run. And so then it makes you wonder, you know, is it going to take like a senior moment on the debate stage or something like that for people to go, boy, this guy's really old yeah. or, you know, but that's or, or too what late. Happens. It's too late. It's too late for other Democrats to get in line. They must be, there's got to be a lot of talk and pushing and shoving behind the scenes saying, Joe, you got to go. Well, Gavin Newsom, we know for the governor of California is dying to run. Um, I had New Jersey's governor, Phil Murphy, on Fox News Sunday, and he seemed anxious to raise his profile. And I know the governor of your great state of Illinois uh, has not been shy about potentially having ambitions, but um, they all seem reluctant to be the, the nasty person who steps in front of the Democratic president at 80 years old. And so, um, so far, nobody's been willing to take that leap and, and perhaps deal with the fallout from it. Maybe it'll be the ghost of uh, Ted Kennedy. Well, right. I mean, you know, somebody like that, you know, who, who said, you know, the hell with it. I'm going to run. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just I, good after a few drinks. I don't know. <laughs> this is, this is be, I was just discussing this with my audience uh, last or last hour, I guess. And we were talking about the Roger Mudd moment with Ted Kennedy, this beautiful setting. And Mudd was a, a friend of the family. He was a friendly interviewer. 
not like they mm -hmm. picked Bill O'Reilly out to go against Ted Kennedy, right? So they picked right. uh, Roger Mudd, sat down at Hyannisport. First question, Senator, why do you want to be president? Boom, crickets. Couldn't answer. That's it. Done. See you. <laughs> and on the Republican side, I remember when uh, Senator Fred Thompson uh, decided, like, kind of reluctantly to run, uh, Saturday Night Live did a spoof on him and said, Senator, on a scale of one to ten, how badly you want to be president? About a four. So, <laughs> <laughs> used to drive, not all in. drove the red pickup else. truck, drove the red pickup truck to every, uh, every city in Tennessee when he was running. Exactly. All right, Mike Emanuel, Ukrainian President Zelensky is inviting House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to visit Ukraine. My understanding, my understanding is, uh, 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 he said earlier today, McCarthy, I'm going to pass on that. What is this kind of a, a, a stagecraft on behalf of Zelensky, or what's going on here? Yeah, I think Zelensky's shrewd enough to, to understand that there are some cross-currents, if you will, in Washington these days that uh, some people are wondering about how much longer the blank check's going to continue and uh, so I think he's hoping that, you know, potentially if he can get the House Speaker on board, well, that'll keep the checks coming. And I think McCarthy realizes that while a lot of his caucus is behind Ukraine very strongly, there are a few who are starting to think about domestic priorities and spending on other things. And so, uh, you know, with that slim majority, Kevin McCarthy wants to make sure his troops are solidly behind him. Mike Emanuel is here, Fox News Chief D.C. Correspondent. He'll be in the anchor chair Sunday at high noon. You have deep uh, sources in the intelligence community. The Pentagon is still probing what exactly causes Havana Syndrome. Havana Syndrome. Yep. And this yep. is even after the spy agencies found that uh, there was no smoking gun, no foreign influence. But our intelligence professionals, are they really buying that it was all pre-existing conditions and just kind of a mass hysteria or something? No, they are not. Uh, they're not sold. And they know people, true, red-blooded, patriotic people who have served in tough places around the globe for decades who are very, very ill with various ailments related to the syndrome who are having a hard time functioning. And they're saying, like, these folks didn't just make it up. And, you know, if the federal government doesn't have an answer, like, don't make it up, you know, like, let's let's really figure it out. Maybe it's time to keep studying what's going on with them or what it possibly could be. And uh, bottom line, they're they're not buying the uh, pre-existing condition argument. Uh, there's a new uh, Senate White House push to uh, push a bill, bipartisan uh, bill, apparently that could ban TikTok. At this point, why bother? Isn't it way too late? Well, it is in some cases, certainly my children at 16 and 15 have sent a whole lot of data to Beijing, which I'm not pleased about. But I guess the thought is, you know, you stop the damage as soon as you can. And uh, maybe if they have a whole lot of data on 16 and 15 year olds, they won't have a good sense of who they are at 24 and 23. Um, so I, I think there's just growing concern that more and more people on both sides, serious people on both sides are saying like, this is really bad. The Chinese don't let their own children stare at this stuff for hour after hour. And, uh, you know, the Chinese are collecting all kinds of data from average Americans. And with artificial intelligence and that sort of thing growing, um, you know, if they know how your mind works, uh, that's a little scary. So um, I think there's a pretty strong bipartisan push to see if we, you know, cut this out and maybe we find an American alternative. But 
cut it out going going forward. And good luck wrestling with the kids. That'll be a that'll be a bloodbath. Yeah. Forget about it. Perfect. And and finally, we talked about the Democratic side on the Republican side. Presidentially, uh, Larry Hogan will not seek the Republican presidential nomination in twenty twenty four. How shocked are you? Well, look, he left with wildly popular approval numbers in true blue Maryland. So he really had a knack for understanding, you know, his constituents and what they needed and what they wanted. And so he's a very skillful politician. But I think what his concern was, he didn't necessarily see a path in this environment of the Republican Party for a blue state governor to go the distance and I think he also feels like if there's 15 Republicans on stage, then the Republican nominee is going to be Donald Trump, who's got his, you know, solid base. It may be a shrinking base, but still, say, 30 percent of the party is strongly behind him. That's enough to become the Republican nominee if there's a whole lot of other people, you know, peeling off votes. I heard Governor Sununu say this on a radio program earlier this week or maybe last. He said in his uh, years in politics, when politicians want to run for office, they don't think about the larger issues. They just jump in. So I think a number of Republicans are going to jump in. I think there's no question about it. Uh, you see Tim Scott going to places like Iowa, and obviously Nikki Haley's already in. I think, you know, Rick Scott's got ambitions in Florida. Obviously, we're waiting on DeSantis. And so I think there are a bunch. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of uh, Arkansas, and Sununu in New Hampshire, I think there are a bunch of them who are all thinking about it. And thinking that perhaps, you know, like in Sununu's case, if I can win New Hampshire, you yeah. know, maybe that's yeah. a launch pad. Yeah. And finally, Mike Emanuel, how are you celebrating the women in your life on International Women's Day? Uh, my wife has the... No, I'm kidding. Uh, I love them dearly. And uh, we are getting away for a little bit in Florida. So that'll be fun. And um, they're going to stay a little bit longer than I am. So that's a good way for them to celebrate. And uh, God bless the women in this country. <laughs> Caught you off guard in that one, didn't I? Yeah. I was going to be a wise guy and say I left my credit cards with her, but that's not, that's pretty sexist, so I shouldn't say that. I'll give you a heads up next time. Thank you, Next brother. year, I'll give you a heads up on that before I drop it on you. <laughs> uh, we'll watch you at high noon on Sunday. Thanks for your time, as always. Good luck on the golf course. You're listening to John Howell, Essential Cuts, on 890 WLS. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. If you sacrifice your dream for the sake of satisfying someone else, that can often lead to ongoing resentment, which then poisons a relationship subtly, slowly, but it does. And if he doesn't want to let you down, then your dreams matter. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, our front yard, Grand Park, is mostly off-limits this summer unless you have tickets. Lori Lightfoot, of course, uh, brought uh, NASCAR to town, said uh, the excitement off the charts. This is the tip of the iceberg, um, and I think the excitement um, is now going to be off the charts, and people are really going to be looking forward to July of 2023 when the cars hit the streets here. But when you take all of the events, and Block Club Chicago found this, some documents from the Park District, in all, parts of our 300-acre Grand Park, our front yard, will be closed to Chicagoans for 83 days this summer. 83 days. Including every day, except, mark these down, put them on the calendar, bring the kids downtown, 
June 2nd, June 3rd, June 4th, and July 16th. Those are the four days all summer long where Grand Park, the entire park, all 300 acres, will be open. Uh, conversely, at least a portion of Grand Park will be, be closed every day between June 5th and July 15th to allow NASCAR to stage the street races. And Brendan Riley, very unhappy about the Taste of Chicago. We just learned the Taste of Chicago is the same weekend as NASCAR. Taste of Chicago occurs in the middle of Grant Park. You can't access it when there's a racetrack built around the park. So, add this up, put it on the calendar. Portions of Grant Park will also be closed from May 18th through June 1st. That allows another festival to take place on the 27th and 28th of May. Lollapalooza, August 3rd through 6th, is scheduled to close portions of Grand Park starting July 17th all the way through August 13th. So, the Chicago Blues Fest... Not scheduled. Chicago Jazz Festival, not scheduled. The Chicago Gospel Festival is set to take place on one of those dates I mentioned, one day for the uh, the Gospel Fest on June 3rd. Now let's turn to the uh, journalist who I'll break this news. They got the alderman very upset yesterday. Melody Mercado is here. Melody, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Did the mayor, when she booked NASCAR and the other events, and people have complained about Lollapalooza for an awfully long time, did we realize at that time how much time these events would take to plan and then to clean up afterwards? No, is basically the short answer. Um, there's always been some speculation around NASCAR since it was announced uh, last year. You know, I, I'm sure you might remember initially teardown setup was supposed to be two weeks. Um, and then uh, uh, Cranes had a report when the contract with the city was finally uh, they foiled for the contract and, and found out that it was about 30-something days. And then, of course, updating that with our records request, it's 41 days with teardown set up and hosting of the NASCAR event. And so it, new information seems to keep coming out about that, and that's the newest information that we have, at least specifically for NASCAR. And did Riley get blindsided at the committee meeting yesterday with this information? Um, you know, it, it seems like it was definitely a, uh, a last-minute poll to try and uh, hold this off. Um, you know, committee chair uh, Alderman uh, Spazzato did tell me that he, Riley, caught him in the elevator right before the meeting <laughs> and explained to him what was going on and said, will you hold this for me as the alderman of the ward that this is supposed to take place in? And Alderman Spazzato said yes, and so now... Everything is sort of in limbo with Taste of Chicago. Has our Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events responded to this? They have, and it's sort of been a blanket response of, we will have the Taste of Chicago. We will be releasing information soon with a date, date's location. Um, but, you know, without this vote, it's pretty much up in the air in terms of, okay, when will we know and where will it be? We, you know, that's pretty much unknown right now breaking news uh i understand that uh, they just announced taste of chicago is moving to arlington heights <laughs> following the bears then exactly yes you know you <laughs> mess around with the taste of chicago it's been around since 1980 albeit it started at, at navy pier on navy pier well we can't do that anymore so how big is the polk brothers park on east grand i'm trying to picture the park um, yeah, and I haven't I haven't been back there in quite some time, but it's my understanding it's not 
super large. Um, but again, last year's Taste of Chicago did have fewer vendors than in years past, again, because of the pandemic. Right, right. Sort of vendors coming back slowly. And so it, it kind of asked the question of, is was the city thinking that possibly the Taste of Chicago wasn't going to be as big? It wasn't going to have as big of a comeback. I think, if I'm not mistaken, because of the adjacent uh, water treatment plant, there's always a lot of bugs at uh, Polk Brothers Park. Not a good place for a food fest. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't want, you know, little gnats and stuff <laughs> flying around my... Uh, you know, corn I, or hot dog yeah. or whatever it might be. <laughs> when I first moved to town back in 1988, I lived downtown in those days, and I was looking for some place along the water. So I, so I took my little lawn chair and walked out there, and I thought, wow, nobody's utilizing this beautiful green space. I'll set up <laughs> shop here. And I lasted about 15 minutes because the flies and the other bugs were so, uh, uh, there was so many bugs there because of the water treatment plant. I, oh, I live and learn. I haven't been back since. <laughs> So, so look, the mayor's kind of in a sticky wicket here, and maybe she's phoning it in at this point, but um, how, do, how are they going to resolve it? You can't get rid of the Taste Chicago, and I don't think the Polk Brothers Park is a viable alternative. What else is next? So, I mean, unless, you know, there are some free dates the, the second half of August. I don't know if the city would consider moving the dates. Um, but, you know, as you were sort of saying the dates so for all the setup teardown for Sueños, NASCAR, and Lollapalooza, there isn't space for a setup and teardown for Taste of Chicago between NASCAR and Lollapalooza. So I don't know if it's not going to be in Grand Park, what other park would it be at that could possibly host something of that size? Don't know. Um, the other possibility could be we know that the, the city's uh, hosted many tastes of Chicago in different Chicago neighborhoods. Um, that could also possibly be an option. Um, but again, there's just, we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and be, it's possible we won't know until the next administration comes in with that vote being held up. Yeah, well, that'll, that'll be uh, something that'll have to be dealt with almost immediately. So they canceled it because of the pandemic in uh, 20 and 21. And, you know, to not go back to Grand Park because of a, an oversight or, you know, just a muscle, uh, it seems like it could put a stake in the heart of this event, which would be a shame. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's been a tradition since 1980. A lot of people look forward to the Taste of Chicago because it is a free event. You don't have to pay to get into it, unlike mm -hmm. NASCAR. Um, and there's also other free activities, like they have concerts and um, you know, it's a, it's an ability to see a lot of the different types of food that Chicago has to offer. I used to have so much fun down there. You know, when I was working at a different radio station, I was down there every afternoon, every afternoon, the entire run. So two full weeks and the weekends wrap around. And, uh, it, you know, then it seemed to me to be just too much. And I got sick of the crowds and I got sick of the food, but looking back on those days, you know, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to miss that event if it doesn't come back. Yeah, I, we'll just have to stay tuned to see what ends up happening. Was the uh, mayor's office or the uh, cultural events people disappointed that you found the records from the park district? <laughs> you know, I did reach out to the mayor's office for comment on this. I didn't receive um, anything back from them. Yeah. Um, but I, I did ask the Department of Cultural uh, uh, cultural affairs and special events, um, how the committee, you know, the results of yesterday's committee meeting, how that would affect things. And I didn't receive a response there either. They better go uh, apologize to Alderman Riley, I would think. Thanks so much for your time, Melody. Appreciate it. We'll read more at Block Club Thanks Chicago.
Take care. Melody Mercado uh, for Black Club Chicago. Here's the alderman. That is a last-minute switcheroo, just like the casino deal was, just like the NASCAR deal was. This is a trend and is likely why this mayor wasn't re-elected. The fans of, of NASCAR, I don't have to tell you, are broad and wide and deep, and the opportunity to really, I think, ignite um, our tourism with a new iconic event um, on the calendar was uh, a no-miss opportunity. Grant Park is being quietly and slowly privatized, where there are only a handful of days each summer season where the public can use it without having to pay an emissions fee. This is John Howell Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. Tonight on NBC5, just downstairs, the first mayoral debate between Brandon Johnson, the commissioner, and Paul Vallis, 6 o'clock on NBC5. I may try to sneak in and stand at the back tonight at 6 or uh, listen to it or watch it. I'm interested in this. I think it's going to be a very close race. Now, white voters determine who made the runoff. You look at the numbers, and they did. How black and Hispanic voters shift in the next four weeks will decide who goes to get uh, the, the, to put new drapes in on the fifth floor of City Hall. 46% of voters did not pick either Johnson or Vallis, so they're going to make the difference. Frank Calabrese is here, a Chicago-based consultant focused on elections, mapping, research, communications, political strategy, soup to nuts, A to Z. And he was uh, quoted liberally in this political piece, how race affects voting in Chicago, always has, always will. Uh, Frank, thanks so much for your time. I know you're getting ready for the debate as well. Is it safe to say that uh, Hispanics and Asian voters are the big unknowns going forward here? Well, I, I would disagree with that because Paul Vallis's best precincts were actually Asian precincts. Um, he was getting 70, 75 percent in some precincts in Chinatown. And he also did well in some um, Asian precincts on the north side. So I think, um, I think Paul Vallis's message on being tough on crime really resonates in the Chinatown area, where we have seen a spike in some um, pretty horrific uh, crimes in that area. Um, the Latino vote, I really do think, is up for grabs. And I think you're going to see a divide in the Latino vote. is a similar divide what you saw when Kim Fox um, was challenged by Bill Conway. Uh, around Logan Square, Humboldt Park, the Latino population around there it votes uh, much more progressive. Um, the congresswoman from that area is a Delhi Ramirez. A lot of the, the aldermen are socialists around there. But when you go in the southwest side of Chicago, um, that area voted for Bill Conway over Kim Fox. And I think you're going to see that divide. And also, Paul, um, Paul Vallis got second place in the Latino southwest side of Chicago to Chewy Garcia. Would it be safe to say that Vallis may have tapped most of his potential white majority ward votes in the first uh, run? I, I would say yes. I, I think that's a good observation. I, I think he kind of maxed out. Um, you know, he got 33% in the first round. And a lot of people, including me, were, were kind of surprised he was able to, uh, to get that high a percentage. And, and that is because I think he really did kind of max out with kind of a conservative-centric um, white vote on the north side. So, uh, obviously, Johnson's best opening is to pull in a large chunk of voters among the 17% that voted for Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, so um, if Johnson wants to win, um, the first thing he's going to have to do is consolidate the black vote, um, which is obviously Lightfoot and Willie Wilson voters. But Willie Wilson's going to throw his support behind Vallis, and I think the Willie Wilson voters, are they automatically not going to move to Vallis? They're going to stick with an African-American candidate? 
Well, you know, Chicago politics, um, you know, if, if you follow it, you know, race is, is a very important factor on, you know, uh, what the, the black vote, um, who they vote for. And so I think at the end of the day, um, black voters are going to be attracted to the idea of voting for a black mayor. And I think that will benefit Brandon Johnson. But certainly, you know, Willie Wilson does have some sway. He got over 50,000 votes, uh, got about 9% of the vote. And he's very popular among older black voters. And especially, you know, he's very popular with all those churches that he's been working with for, for many years. So, um, you know, Willie Wilson's endorsement for Paul Vallis, I think, is significant. One more question about Paul Vallis. How important is the uh, former Secretary of State Jesse White's endorsement? I, I think that's very, very important because um, it, it came out early. And it, I think it, you know, it allows for um, further black establishment um, to support Paul Vallis. I think that was a, a very big endorsement. Frank Calabrese is here, Chicago-based political consultant, joining us here on WDLS. So if Vallis can pick up some of Garcia's Hispanic voters, and if Johnson can consolidate the black vote, is it an even race? Um, uh, essentially, you know, so obviously Paul Vallis, um, last month he finished the election with 33%. Johnson looks like 22%. I was just some mail ballots are trickling in. So, you know, Paul Vallis, he starts out with, with more votes, right? But then, you know, when Johnson, if he consolidates the black vote, um, that's worth a lot. Um, and so that's where, like, I think you previously mentioned, I think that's where the Latino vote really comes in important um, demographic for deciding the winner. If you were consulting either Paul Vallis or Brandon Johnson for tonight's debate at 6 o'clock on Channel 5, what advice would you give to either candidate? Well, you know, I, I think people kind of know Paul Vallis because he's been around. You know, Brandon Johnson, he, he's new to most of Chicago. I think that, you know, I was seeing polls that only, you know, his name recognition was in the single digits um, around December. You know, then he got started to get a lot of support, go up on TV, and people know him. So if I was Paul Vallis, you know, I would focus on defining, you know, Brandon Johnson um, by some of his, you know, past statements um, that he made when he was kind of more of um, more of an activist, you know, um, and uh, he made statements concerning defunding police, stuff like that. And then if I was Brandon Johnson, you know, got near new the voters, I would kind of allay, you know, a lot of um, more centric voters that you know, um, under a Brandon Johnson administration, you know, the police department's going to, you know, function um, very effectively. So yeah, I think, you know, public safety is the number one issue. That's why Paul Vallis got the most votes. Poll after poll says 70% of the people of Chicago say their most important issue is public safety. So I, I think that's going to be true again for the election next month, and people are going to vote on who they think will keep their community safe. Frank Calabrese, thanks again for your time. I know you're very busy. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, John, for having me. When people tell me that this used to be the city that works and it doesn't work anymore, I'll tell you, this city has never really been the city that works for everyone. But it will be when I am mayor. And uh, Branson, Brandon Johnson today on this program must have used the phrase tale of two cities at least three or four times. We are going to finally retire this tale of two cities and usher in a better, stronger, safer, united city. You're listening to John Howell, Essential Cuts, on 890 WLS. Name
ranked one of the best personal finance podcasts. The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. I worked in the John Hancock building for about 11 years. Two or three different radio stations there and shadow traffic upstairs. The top of the John Hancock building, 875 North Michigan Avenue. I still have stress dreams revolving around the parking garage at the John Hancock building for some reason. Not the uh, spiral uh, driveway. That's not an issue. That I, I keep uh, thinking that I've forgot a car that I left at the John Hancock parking garage when I left there years and years ago. But uh, we'll take that up with a psychologist at some point. I also have stress dreams where I'm driving backward in the middle of the night and I can't see anything and the brake doesn't work. I have stress dreams every night. I'm just killing a little time while we get our guests into the studio here with the, uh, with the food and beverage they have uh, brought along for the, uh, for the crew. So when I worked at the John Hancock building, Steve Dahl was working at a different station, and he used to call the bar downstairs the Loser Bar. <laughs> and we used to all go to the Loser Bar. It was just a great time. I mean, it, it was just a, a great bar. It was a great bar. And upstairs, too. Upstairs, at the top of the John Hancock building, that was a little pricier, but I used to spend a little time up there. The views were absolutely fantastic. Come on in here right there. Grab that microphone. So this is the latest edition of John Howell's best food and drink to check out in the city of Chicago. Not only a city of great restaurants and bars, but of great skyscrapers, too, like the John Hancock Building. Discover one of the world's most fascinating cities with its incredible skyscrapers and bold, modern design. It's an architectural gem, boasting the oldest skyscraper in the world, and the tallest. Well, yes. Uh, I don't think the oldest was a John Hancock. I don't think that was the tallest, but it's certainly significant. Anyway, Cloud Bar at 360 Chicago recently opened on the 94th floor of, uh, I still call it the Hancock Building, the former John Hancock Building. And uh, now it features hyper-local artisans and food and beverage partnerships to magnify our city's authentic Best. Jennifer Hesser is here. She's the assistant uh, general manager of 360 Chicago. Jennifer, thank you very much for uh, coming this afternoon. Uh, give us an idea of the overall concept. Sure. So thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Cloud Bar is a portion of the floor that faces north, that faces west. Beautiful sweeping views. You can be up there for a cocktail, be up there for a quick bite to eat before you run for dinner down the avenue. Really enjoyable place where you can just relax, take in the views have a little sip of something sweet, and be on your way to see the rest of the deck and experience Tilt. What are your drink specials? Not specials price-wise, but what are your specialties, I should say? We are partnering with a wonderful um, kind of lounge experience in Lakeview called Kit Kat Lounge and Supper Club. If you're from Chicago, they're a namestay. Mm -hmm. They have two of our featured cocktails on our elevated cocktail list. So we feature the Heavenly Martini with a puff of cloud on the top and another cocktail by there's another Manhattan, uh, excuse me, Martini named the Wild Impersonable. We also and, have a number of other elevated cocktails. And what kind of goodies to go along uh, with that? Sure. So we're partnering with a lot of um, smaller venues in Chicago that provide snack food 
experiences. So upcoming new vendor, this is probably the exclusive announcement of this, would be the Fat Shallot out of Lakeview and now currently at Merchandise Mart as well. Um, a purveyor of press juice out of the Chicagoland area. Her juice is called Jada Juice. Working with Vos Chocolate Classic in Chicago. Also Garrett Popcorn. Mm-hmm. Carol's mm-hmm. Cookies out of the North Shore. Carol's Cookies. I know Carol. Oh, you know Carol? I know Carol, yes. My wife is good friends with Carol. And Carol is always a big uh, uh, participant in a fundraiser that my wife uh, did every year for Scleroderma. Yeah. And Scleroderma. And, uh, yeah, Carol's cookies, they're the best. I grew up on those cookies. I hate to say it, but warmed a little bit in a microwave, there's nothing better in life. You, are you a microwave person? I hate microwaves, but I the Carol's microwaves. cookie in a microwave is perfection. Uh, really? <laughs> I hate microwaves. I would take time just to put it on a cookie sheet and put it in the oven. Oh, I hear you on that. I'd rather do that. Yeah. I, I stay away from those microwaves. I don't think that technology is going to last. Like no. the internet. I think it's going to go away. I'll really have a do. third eyeball in another 20 years just to making my Carol's cookies. <laughs> but How long has the cloud bar been open? Since September 2022. Okay. Yeah. So you guys made it through the pandemic all right? We the sure whole operation. did. We sure did. It was really exciting to see the public want to come experience experiences again. And we are the ultimate for that. When you can come up with your family, take some great photos, and really start to appreciate the vastness outside of just your neighborhood or just the blocks that you've been living on for so long. And it gives you a little bit of a fresh breath. Mm-hmm. Any micro brews as far as beer? Yeah, so we're featuring Moody Tongue right now. We have a Magnicity Pilsner of theirs. Magnicity is our overarching brand. That is our corporate global group for Observation Decks. Um, So we are featuring um, Moody Tongue up on the floor. We also have some great, great um, picks of Revolution Brewery out of Chicago. I love Revolution. Oh, I do too. I understand your your corporate... You know, overlords, the 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 company based in France. Uh-huh. My wife was just at one of your uh, restaurants in Paris. Where at? I, I can't remember the name of it. That's okay. It was probably Ciel de Paris at the top of Montparnasse Tower. It was at the top the of a tower. Of Paris. Yes. Yeah. It is a dead eye pan view of the Eiffel Tower. It's absolutely stunning. How can we get in touch with you via a, uh, a website? Sure. So 360chicago.com. You can buy tickets on that website. You can see our upcoming events on that website. You can reserve a time to come up and see the views and experience Cloud Bar. Thanks for stopping by. What goodies did you bring us? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I have glassware for you from our bar. We have some Garrett's popcorn for you. We have a little bit of booze in between your breaks from Kit Kat Lounge and Supper Club. We have some Carol's cookies for you. We have some beer for you as well. You're going to have a good party in this in this area. Jennifer, thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you. All the compliments of the house. Come, Elwood. Let us adjourn ourselves to the nearest table and overlook this establishment's board of fare. Discover one of the world's most fascinating cities with its incredible skyscrapers and bold modern design. It's an architectural gem boasting the oldest skyscraper in the world and the tallest. John Howell, Essential Cuts. Check back every weekday for another episode of John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. Scott Grimes is here Thank with you. us. Voiceover, that is like my dream job. I think I just have too distinctive a voice and I can't manipulate it. That's why I'm right. not a good singer. This is how great Seth MacFarlane is. I went in to do it and I was talking like this and he goes, good, now just get rid of the neck thing that you just did because it's one, it's ugly. And then I just came out like this and came up with this guy named Steve Smith who has a tiny little lisp, but so does Scott Grimes, so it's perfect. What women binge wherever you listen.